0: Chapter 22, Foylon Ronan woke to the sound of lapping water. He opened his eyes. Mist was falling from a pearl-grey sky. His wrists and ankles were loosely tied, and his head was sore. He was lying at the bottom of a boat, a fragile lattice of ribs and lathes under a skin of hide its construction so light that it breathed with the ebb and suck of the sea. It smelt of fish, with a resinous undercurrent of pitch. Oars creaked in their wooden rollocks, and the boat trembled like a living creature with the movement of the blades. There were two rowers, a pair of she stripped to the waist despite the cold, muscles rippling under their silky pelts. They sat with their backs to him but he recognised them from the gold bands around their wrists as two of their recent visitors. Isola's clan as far as he knew did not venture across water. A third male she sat beside him in the prow. Good morning said the she I am Fuelon. Ronan struggled onto an elbow and looked over the side of the boat. The sea was grey and the sky was grey, and both seemed to glow with a queasy opalescent light. He could see the fading outline of land behind him, and nothing beyond the prow of the boat, but the thin silver line of the horizon. He indicated the ropes around his wrists. Am I captive? In one sense we have captured you, but you might also consider yourself rescued. It depends on how you look at it. Ronan surveyed his captor. It was the she who had tried to approach him at the feast the night before. Foylon, while still taller than a human, was stocky and compact. His pelt was very dark brown and his eyes were golden. We secured your hands in case you woke up suddenly and unbalanced the boat. How is your head? As he leant forward to release the ropes... Ronan noticed a web of skin between Foylon's fingers. He pulled himself up onto the bench, careful not to rock the boat, and palpated his cranium with cautious hands. Beyond an egg-sized lump on his forehead, he had no external injury, but his neck was stiff and he had a pounding headache. What happened? I imagine that you fell off your pony and hit your head. We found you in the woods and elected to bring you with us. You were injured, so we gave you something to make you sleep. The journey would have been uncomfortable without it. I don't remember. That is what tends to happen, said Foylon cryptically. But your memories will begin to return as we get further away from the land. His feet were spread across the lathe of the boat, and there was a fine webbing of skin between his toes. The rowers pulled and the long, slim boat cut through the swell of the sea. Ronan leant over the side, careful not to disrupt the balance. A huge jellyfish pulsed beneath them, tentacles trailing. Where are you taking me? To our home, said Foylon. We're an island clan. Ronan rubbed his sore head and blinked repeatedly. I don't understand what's going on. I think that you are coming to your senses, said Foylon, uncorking a water skin. Ronan realised that he was thirsty, sat up and drank. I think that you are coming to your senses, said Foylon, uncorking a water skin. So, said Foylon, the forgetfulness of humanity is not the easiest thing to explain, but I will do my best. How long have you been with the she?" Ronan blinked more rapidly as he tried to remember. About six weeks, I think. Foylon leant forward. Ronan, he said. You have been two years in Eldahak. Ronan went pale. Are you sure? Absolutely. Ronan had begun to move his hands in a way that anyone familiar with design, bitch, would recognise as a sign of distress. One of the rowers looked over his shoulder, frowning, and said something to him in she. Foylon replied sharply and at length, and the rower went back to his oar. Ronan's hands wove in and out of each other. Far above them, huge white birds were wheeling, filling the air with raucous cries. One of them plummeted into the water like a missile with black-tipped wings. ''Have I been under an enchantment?'' he asked at last. ''The she don't do magic,'' Poilon replied. ''Our world is very similar to yours, but with some differences. The perception of time, for example. In your legends, the she are perceived as immortal. We are not, but we are a very long-lived species.'' the humans who settle here also live for very much longer than they would in their own world. In most cases, they lose all sense of time, he paused. Does anyone know where you are? Silently, Ronan shook his head. Who brought you here? asked Foylon grimly. Ethan Blake. And Isola is your minder? Ronan blinked. Isola is my girlfriend. Foylon sighed. Have you ever heard of a custom known as a tear? Ronan rocked back and forth, hands stimming. More wheeled above them now, hundreds of them, their harsh cries like ravens. This is their colony, said Foylon, indicating a bare rocky island. Its stepped cliffs were lined with gannets, the rocks below stained white with droppings. The birds rose, squawking and undignified, their big webbed feet flapping beneath them. They circled the colony, then focused and dived with folded wings, hitting the water from an immense height. The rowing she lifted the oars, and the boat rowed the swell as the huge birds plunged around it, drenching them with spray. Foylon smiled and brushed the water from his face. They dive as deep into the water as they fall from the sky. A gannet rose from the water just beside the boat, an enormous golden-headed bird with a fish in its beak. Ronan caught a glimpse of a periwinkle blue eye before it took flight ungainly once again. The silent rowers gathered back their oars. As they rounded the edge of the cliff, Ronan saw another island behind it, cliffs on one side, but sloping green fields on the other, with a castle built into the lee of the hill. Our home said Foylon simply. We will continue our conversation later. Ronan's face was impassive. Will I lose my memory once I am on the land? Coelan nodded. That is inevitable, but it will happen gradually. If we need to, we can talk on the boat. They pulled into a natural harbour with a wooden pier draped with bladderwrack and green weed and slippery, muddy steps that led down to the water. There was a deep, dank alcove in the rock, used to store floats and fishing nets. At the sight of it, Ronan's self-control abandoned him. The alcove represented the precise dimensions of a small enclosed space. He climbed precipitously out of the boat, tipping the three she into the water, waded across the harbour and inserted himself knees to chest into the alcove. Ronan faced into the cold and comforting compression of stone. The world faded to white. The she shouted to each other in their own language as they righted the boat. Worsted, Mull's Breath, Stony Ground, Bone, Cromarty, Mizzle, Blue-Grey, Pigeon, Blackened, Dimps, Pavilion Grey, French Grey, Hardwick Grey. Two hours later, when Ronan unfolded his aching limbs, he found Foylon sitting quietly on the slipway reached out a hand to help Ronan down from the alcove. Better? Ronan nodded silently. He helped Foylon to bring their belongings up to the castle. They carried only what they might need for immediate use, hunting knives, sleeping mats and a copper cooking vessel lined with tin. He understood that some bulkier items had travelled with the horses, around the coast to a place where they could swim across to the island at low tide. Like Carmwell, the castle looked medieval. It was built by humans, said Foylon, unbolting a wooden gate in the outer wall. The she are hermit crabs. We inhabit unoccupied shells. Bluebells bloomed in the shelter of the walls, and a kestrel, carrying something in its talons, flew into the crack between the stones. Fräulein indicated the hidden nest. The world is full of squatters. Did the humans live here first, before the she came? Not exactly. There is a version of this island in your own world, too, and also this building, but it is probably a ruin by now. Ronan stopped abruptly, blocking the pathway. But there are different worlds. Once they were the same world, but their paths diverged many centuries ago. Now they are entirely separate. There are still places where you can travel between them, but fewer than there used to be. Ronan looked at him in despair. Froydon lifted his hand and touched his shoulder in a gesture that was at the same time an act of affection and a shove. Eldahach befuddles humanity. It is the nature of the place. Come. We need to eat. Overwhelmed by tiredness, Ronan followed him up the path to the castle. It was almost dark, that liminal moment between night and day, when bats swooped over the castle walls and the rabbits emerged from their burrows to graze the short grass on the clifftops. A flock of rooks erupted from the giant oak to the west of the castle and circled above them, cawing wildly before spiralling down to roost. The sea threw itself against the cliff walls and growled. There was no place on the island where you could not hear the sea. Foylon stood waist-deep in water and licked the salt from his lips. It had been difficult for him to sleep in land, away from the sound of the waves, and now he could not sleep for other reasons cold, dark sea swelled around him and sucked the pebbles from under his feet. It smelt of seaweed and iodine. Voilon filled his lungs with air and dived. The underwater world embraced him. Its tides and currents had infinite variety. No swim was ever the same as another, but they were as familiar to him as the paths around the cliffs. The sea rocked him and he was comforted. He could keep on swimming he thought, until it possessed him entirely and he would never have to face the consequences of what he had done. But dry land was waiting for him and his brother's wrath. Foylon swam through the dark water, between the darker shadows of the rocks. He surfaced to breathe and dived again. All of the Dubberku could hold their breath under water, But it was a contest that Foylon always won. He could dive deeper, stay underwater longer than the rest of the clan. He learnt the geography of the seabed, the hiding places of eels and the oyster beds. It was his natural habitat. Sometimes he dreamed that he could live alone, hunting like an otter. But the she did not live alone and Foylon had a duty to his clan. He held that thought in his mind as he surfaced. His brothers were waiting for him on the shore. Voilon shook the water from his ears and followed them up the steep and hazardous path to the castle. There was no need to be quiet. The Dubberku clan would not return until the following day. Until then, the three she and the human now sleeping by the fireside were the only occupants of the castle. This was why Trian and Aid saw no need to hold back. They roared at him, and their words, as was the way with the she in anger, had no relation to any particular meaning. Foylon had once been cornered by a bull seal. He didn't understand that language either. Foylon turned to the wall, and Aid, incensed with rage, slapped him across the back of the head. Trian thought that if anyone was hitting anybody, it should be him, and gave Aide a shove. Aide shoved back, then turned and bit Foylon on the shoulder, drawing blood. Foylon lost his temper and swiped him across the nose, claws extended. Aide fell back, clutching his nose. Blood oozed from between his fingers. Trian picked up a bit of wood from the fireplace and whacked Foylon sufficiently hard that he fell with a crack that everyone including Foylon, thought was his skull cracking open on the stone-flagged floor. In fact, it was the sound of breaking wood, but by the time that everyone realised that Foylon wasn't badly hurt, they'd had enough of a fright to calm them down. They sat in different corners of the room. Aide's nose was bleeding. He tilted his head back against the wall. Foylon felt dizzy and put his head between his knees. The blood in his head was roaring like the sea. Eventually Trian spoke, and this time his meaning was perfectly clear. You have kidnapped another clan's hostage. Have you any idea of the trouble that this is going to cause? By now, Ronan would certainly have been missed. Togon outriders would have been sent after the returning Dubberku. It might take a while for the two parties to work out where Ronan actually was. But it was no secret that he had been left in Foylon's charge and that Foylon had been briefed to escort him back to Caharmuil. Ronan was Togon property and must be returned to the clan. To do otherwise was an aggressive act. Foylon was the only member of the Dabberhu clan authorised to make the transfer. He was a diplomat, an egna. His brothers both of whom were Behir warriors, were guards with no authority over the human under their protection. Observance of this protocol was the only reason, Trion explained bitterly, that they had not prevented their brother from the utterly stupid act of abducting the human. She protocol ran very deep. It was only a matter of time, he concluded, before they were found by Togon warriors and killed, or before the Dabrkhu elders came back and sent them into exile. You have put all of us in danger. The Togon have gone to war over less than this. Put that way, there was not a lot that Foilan could argue with, but that did not stop him from trying. Ronan has been deceived, he said. He does not understand that he is a hostage. The Togon Shi are breaking the law. Agreed, said Trian. But that is a job for the Brahan, the lawyers. It makes no sense for you to interfere. The elders will listen to me. They will not, Trian said. They will take the hostage back to the Togoan Shi and send us into exile, all three. And we, Aid added bitterly, have done nothing wrong, except that we didn't break your stupid head. Voilun rubbed his bruised ear and looked at the ground. You are correct. He said at last, there is no justification for what I did and no excuse for what I am going to ask of you. He told his brothers what he wanted them to do. They refused. We don't speak the language, we don't have the training and we don't know the way. You do it. Foylan shook his head. I'm not going to leave him. His brothers stared at him incomprehendingly. Then the unsavoury truth began to dawn on them. You want him for yourself? A human? Trion spat on the ground in disgust. Yes, Foylon said, if he will stay. Aid stared at Foylon with a mixture of revulsion and disbelief. Are you serious? I have never been more serious in my life said Foylon gravely. He did not know how his brothers would react. The vast majority of Xi barely considered that humans were sentient beings. They most certainly did not think of them as equals. The Xi occasionally used them for sex, but did not associate with them any more than they had to. To couple your fate with that of a human was the single greatest shame that a she could bring upon their clan. Exile was the standard punishment, but it would have been perfectly legal for Aidan and Trian to put both their brother and the human to death. They didn't do either of these things. Trian crossed the room and held out his hand. He pulled Foylon to his feet. Aid rose and stood beside him. They put their arms around Foylon's shoulders and embraced him in silence. Then they stepped apart. We will go now, Trian said. You must tell us what to do.